building the relationships with the buyers, being able to have open conversations. Um, ultimately, they all know that we're a small company. So the more help that we can get, uh, the more successful you can be. Um, trying to surround yourself with people that are much more knowledgeable than you. So approaching, whether it's the grocery director from, from one of the big supermarkets or somebody else and seeing if they want to come and sit on your board can have sort of transformational changes for your business. Um, so relationship building is definitely the key. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 205 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, it's my pleasure to welcome Sarah Treshman, co-founder of Well and Truly. Sarah co-founded Well and Truly with her sister-in-law, Maria, after noticing a gap in the market for better tasting, healthier snacks, which has led her to become a trailblazer within the naughty-ish snack category. In the three years since launch, Well and Truly have experienced a staggering 110% year-on-year growth, completing three successful funding rounds, totaling over £1 million. Now, one of the UK's fastest-growing snack brands, Well and Truly, are stocked everywhere from Tesco's to Sainsbury's and everywhere in between. Over the last 10 years, Sarah has gained extensive knowledge of launching new brands and products within the UK and Europe, including the launch of Optimum Nutrition, which became the number one sports nutrition brand within three years. To date, Well and Truly's Naughtyish Snacks have removed 12 million grams of fat from the UK's supply chain. During this chat, Sarah and I talk about remote working, relationship building, female founders, and launching your first ever brand campaign. Let's start up. So I was actually living in a flat in London with a friend of mine who wasn't my sister-in-law at the time, but was Maria. And Sunday night was movie night, and we would always resort to our favorite snacks. And at the time, mine were knickknacks and hers were Doritos. But as relatively young girls, but we could never find a healthy snack that satisfied our cravings on Sunday night. So we decided to unjunk our favorite snacks. And um, that's what we did. And, and how long did it? I love a knickknack, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> always loved a knickknack. Um, we were both working. Uh, Maria then subsequently married my brother. 
Um, we both had to try and sort of see how we could leave our jobs. We wanted to come up with a name. We also spent what was roughly over a six month period trying to find a factory that could produce the type of snack that we actually wanted. Um, So we went to a big trade show out in Paris and another one in Cologne where we got lots of different contacts because we didn't know anything about manufacturing. Mm. Um, Visited six factories. Um, I had a bit of a nutritional background, so I knew the nutritionals that I wanted to have on the snack, the types of ingredients that I also wanted. And then we found one small artisanal producer out in Italy that was happy to take a risk on us and mm-hmm. said that they would produce uh, or try to produce the snack that we wanted. So that's when we started working on the um, tortilla chip and also on the knickknack type of extruded snack. Um, and then, yeah, it was definitely a year later when we first had our, I guess, our first sample product. It often seems to be the way I've, t- I've talked to a lot of people in three years who have um started a food or drink business and it often seems to be the hardest thing is finding somebody who will take a chance on you um and and manufacture your product um why why do you think that was and what was your experience it's really hard because you've got no volume so Mm. you don't reach any of the minimum order quantities that they require it's really time consuming for them to trial a new product down their lines and they can't produce anything else. So they almost have to shut the factory in terms of revenue for at least a day or two to produce your snacks. So they really need to believe in you and believe that you're then going to grow for it actually to be profitable for them. Mm. You need to find a factory that's got some capacity. And we actually visited a few factories that were at full capacity. So they wouldn't even sort of contemplate thinking of producing a product for us Mm. Um, so it ends up being quite a challenge Uh, and the same as when you're looking at the packaging because again they've got certain minimum order quantities and um, you can obviously go for the sort of the flexo print or you can go for the digital print but the digital print is much more expensive because you're doing a much shorter run and also the quality isn't as good Um, so if you can find a printer that's kind of prepared to take a risk on you and sort of say okay well we're going to do a smaller run for you or we're going to say that you've got 60 day payment terms and that's going to help the cash flow i feel with that that i you know not being in the industry the more and more i think about it you think there's there's got to be an opportunity for somebody to um, start something just focused on uh, startup slash early stage businesses um but you know maybe that's just not not a feasible thing no matter where in the world it might be i think it would be a great idea i guess the challenge is that the machinery and the types of factories are all so hard mm. but potentially somebody could be out there to be sort of a broker and then they yeah, could sort exactly. of lump lots of startups together and then go to different factories yeah um, i think that would definitely help a lot of the initial teething problems and it would also help people get to market faster mm. and at that time um were, were both of you full-time doing this because it could be, become a full-time job in itself just trying to find a, a manufacturer from people tell me you know um let alone product development etc so no we were both still working um i managed to reduce my days down to i think it was four days a week so i could have at least one day a week full-time on this and then the weekends Mm -hmm. um and maria she had actually sort of 
uh, left her corporate role and was working with her father in an import um, export company. Yeah. Um, so she also managed to reduce the amount of days that she was working. And it was a gradual thing because obviously we still needed to have income coming in. Yeah. So we kind of went from four days to three days to two days as well and truly scaled and we could start paying ourselves. Got you. Um, and, and just to explain where geographically were you both uh, at this time? And we're just talking off air about where you, where you live now, etc. Just give us uh, that, that backstory. So actually, at the time when we started Well and Truly, we were both based in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through the journey of Well and Truly, we've actually had uh, three kids between the two of us. Um, Maria then moved to Lisbon and then Lisbon to Munich and then Munich to Stockholm, where she's based now. Um, I got married and then um, I kind of commute between France and London. So your HQ is currently in London. Um, tell me uh, a little bit about how the operation works with um, yourself Um based uh, where you are and your um, co-founder based in Sweden at the moment. You've got to be big advocates for um, online working, etc., and all the, all the technology that comes with that, I'd imagine. Oh, definitely. We have, we're big advocates of Zoom. So we have two uh, Zoom calls per week with the whole team where we sort of set up the week and then we close out the week. Um, we also are happy for the team to kind of do remote working. So the bulk of the team is actually sales. So they tend to be in and out of the office a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also make sure that we have, um, team away days and we tend to pick one city somewhere in Europe where we all meet up and we do a strategy session and then we have some fun. I love um, that so the last... Yeah, the last one we did was in Lisbon, and the next one is probably going to be skiing in the Alps. Right, I'm there. Where's the invite? I'm there, definitely. <laughs> I'm going to be part of the team. Um, Great. But you know, I, I always remember like when I started working with Virgin Startup, and I was like, the only thing preventing me doing this is the assumption that I will have to travel up from uh, Dorset to, to London every day. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. Richard uh, works from a hammock on Necker Island, so we're quite happy for people to work remotely. And I was like, well, of course, if your boss works on an island, then surely you've got to embrace that kind of thing as well. So, um, yeah, I love the fact that you can do that. So apart from Zoom, um, as on the subject, um, any other technology that um, you would recommend using for for anybody else who's um, either in a similar situation or or looking to set up a business um, online where they work remotely? We use Slack um, so that everybody is on that uh, and all the conflict conversations are then obviously recorded, which is great. We also use WhatsApp. Um, so when the sales team are out and about, we see our snacks and someone's shopping basket. Then we just take a picture and share that with the team. It's a bit more fun. <laughs> um, so those, those are the two platforms you really use. Okay. Yeah, I use, use Slack and I'm using WhatsApp less and less because, uh, you know, when you just end up with a gazillion notifications on it and it just starts um, traumatizing me um, <laughs> and, and, you know, muting those those conversations. Uh, but no, um, two, two good recommendations there. Um, and h- how long – talk me through the process then from yeah, – just rewinding a little bit um, – 
from getting the manufacturer in Italy? And, and was that a recommendation again, or did you just stumble uh, across that? Well, we were looking for an extruder, uh, which is a specific type of machinery. So there's only a certain number that uh, of factories that actually have that type of machinery. So when we went to this trade show in Cologne, um, that's where a lot of manufacturers will exhibit, and they all do co-packing or private label. Okay. Um, so we went around the trade show asking who was doing extruded snacks um, yeah. and took all their contact details and then arranged to go and visit the factory. Got you. Um, and then what was a, what was the timeline from signing that and seeing uh, a product on a shelf? And, and, and who was it that, um, again, took a chance on you to, um, to distribute and sell? So this part of our story is actually really different to most other startups. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so they um, they produced, uh, I guess, the first samples. And we always, from the beginning, we wanted to go big. So we had already started approaching the likes of Tesco's and Sainsbury's mm-hmm. and pitching the idea of these unjunked snacks. Um, we were really lucky in that Tesco's answered our email somehow. It was wow. it was pure luck, I have to say. I was, was going to say um, that's that's an achievement in itself, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Wow. Um, and we managed to get a meeting. Um, so we had our first samples for the meeting. We didn't really we didn't have any packaging, um, but we had some initial designs that some designers had done for us, and we had the brand name Well and Truly. Um, the buyer really liked what we were doing. Uh, and this was actually the free from buyer. She didn't have really any okay. savory snacks in her fixture. Mm. So she kind of said, I want to take a chance on you two girls. Um, so let's have another meeting, finalize the commercials. And then it was probably three months later we received our first order, which we were told was going to be for 300 stores. So that's what we've been planning with a factory. Yeah. And when the order arrived, we were actually going in over a thousand stores. Oh. Um, so I think <laughs> Marie and I both jumped for joy, but we also cried because it was nearing Christmas. Oh. So we then had to persuade the factory to do some double shifts over the Christmas period. Otherwise, we weren't going to meet the timings for our first delivery into Tesco's, our first ever customer. Mm. Uh, it was one of the most stressful periods. But in the end, we literally made it by the skin of our teeth. Um, and, and got the product there with one day spare. Uh, and then that's when we saw the products for the, on the shelves for the first time ever in a Tesco store. And it was the most memorable day in the life of one and truly. I, I bet it. Do you, do you still um, get that buzz when you when you see um, your products in somebody's uh, shopping basket or on a, on a till just being checked through? I absolutely love it. It is the best thing ever. I literally smile and I can't help myself after you talk to the person. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> and I totally, totally get it. I don't think I've met somebody yet who, who doesn't, you know, say that when they see it, it still brings a smile to face it and they feel this um, urge to run up and take a photo of that person exactly. with their product, no matter what it is. Exactly. Um, uh, and so was that uh, was that Christmas 2016, 2017? Christmas 2016. Oh, 2016, okay. Um, and, and of course you would have just said to Tesco's, yes, we can deliver that for you. Yeah, and we had absolutely no idea how we were going to do it. No. Uh, <laughs> that, that was a screw it, just do it moment for sure then. Definitely. 
Uh, and and your advice to anybody else in a sim- similar situation is um, just suck it up and go for it. I think you have to. Um, I think we then, you know, it was definitely challenging afterwards because you've got such mass distribution, but you've got absolutely no brand awareness. Mm. So it was then a fight to make sure that we were growing enough uh, to keep that listing. Uh, so that's why you normally see startups go the other way where they go into a small independent, right. start building the brand, uh, and gradually go up that way and potentially go into Tesco as, as one of the last customers, not the first, yeah. but on the, you know, now we've been trading with Tesco's for over three years. We've got steady growth year on year, uh, and we've got a really solid relationship with the largest grocer in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. And at that time, like you said, when, when you went in and you didn't have any brand awareness, what kind of things um, were you doing to to be able to build that brand awareness from scratch? Because assuming, again, you wouldn't have had a budget uh, to go to a, a big PR agency or anything like that at the time as well. No, I mean, we had uh, very little cash because we'd basically done a first investment round where we raised 150000 SEIS. Mm-hmm. Um, but that totality was pretty much purchasing the packaging and the stock uh, and paying for warehousing. Right. So everything, we did have an, an extra 5K, which enabled us to buy a little electric tuk-tuk. Um, which we then drove around London using as a kind of mobile billboard. So we did a lot of sampling outside of all the Tesco stores. We used the tuk-tuk to create sort of funny videos that we could put up on social media. Um, And though we tried to act much bigger than we actually were. So we got posters printed and we did our own fly poster campaign, which we could then post on LinkedIn, social media, um, and we tried to engage with influencers who we knew were pretty sort of positive towards any products or snacks that were gluten-free. Mm. And so we've had some really strong relationships with some of them, and they've helped us through our journey. Interesting. And did you just how, – how did you go about approaching them initially? Was it literally just through like Instagram or something like that, messaging them? Yeah, it was just through Instagram and we would try and research them before to understand what they were into. And then we would write a really personal message. So if it was a mum or something, we would talk about our experiences being... Or if it was just, you know, a female founder, we would talk about that um, to really try and go in there with that personal angle to make our email stand out from everybody else's. Mm. Well, your emails sound pretty good, to be honest with you. (laughs) <laughs> it's the magic it's a work of art they take hours <laughs> <laughs> especially with all this new technology you haven't uh, ditched the email have you going all in on whatsapp and slack and zoom no we still got emails going <laughs> <laughs> good old email um and and look looking back now what do you think were the, the most important qualities that you had between you um to, to get through that really tough baptism of getting your product in the shop and then off the shelves we had a huge amount of passion we really believed in what we were doing um also i guess quite a lot of pride and we wanted to be to, to succeed um and uh, and i guess also the rewarding part of when we've actually seen people really enjoying the snacks, mm. um, that kind of gives you a, an extra drive. Um, but I think it was really just having this inherent, almost stubborn, pig-headed belief 
that we were on the right path and this snack could be the next household favorite snack. Yeah. And and was did that belief come from something as simple as Tesco opening that email giving you a chance um because otherwise it it could have been a yeah, traditional very long battle couldn't it you know add on another three or four years building brand awareness etc definitely i mean tesco's taking the initial chance on us really uh was kind of boosted us um it gave us a lot of confidence that we could actually go out there and we kind of already believed in it uh, and even if it hadn't been a tesco's i think if it had been any store even if it was a small store but if they believed in you and they took that chance you kind of start going on this kind of this whole kind of motion that it, it's going to succeed and you get another win and you get another win and you just keep on going. Um, and Maria had a sales background, so she was quite used to getting the wins and also getting the the, ne- the negative knockdowns. Yeah. Um, so she was used to that journey, whereas my background was marketing, so it was already new to me. Mm. But I definitely enjoyed that roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. And Look, looking back again now from, from that moment, um, how how was there anything, any thoughts at the time that you were thinking, you know, this is a massive opportunity, but what's the worst thing that could happen? Or did those thoughts not even cross your mind? Was it all just let's think positive, let's think positive? I think at the beginning we were really lucky. Um, so it was quite positive. But I would probably say um, – after 15 months, um, we definitely had a low period where we were really struggling to get into a second grocer. Right. Um, we had had collected quite a lot of learnings in terms of there was something not working with our branding. Mm. So because whenever we were sampling the product, the consumers were always surprised when they opened the packets. And that's not what you want. You want them to kind of know what's in the packet before they open it. Mm. So the packaging wasn't selling the actual products. Um, cash was really tight. Um, and even though our sales in Tesco's were growing, it was not at the rate that we wanted. Um, so we kind of had to dig really deep and look at ourselves and we had to do a pivot. So we decided to do a full rebrand. Um, and I have to say it was probably one of the biggest decisions that we had to do. So we raised 400,000, um, pounds uh through investors to be able to go and do this um we appointed an agency and they re-looked at the whole branding and our products um and they came up with a completely new look and feel so we went from really clean white packaging to really bold uh black packaging uh, and it was a scary move because at the time tesco's was our biggest customer and we were in the free from aisle and the free from aisle is historically very white packaging, almost a bit clinical. So mm. we didn't know if the Tesco buyer was going to hate it. The shoppers were not going to buy the product and potentially was this going to cause us to get kicked out of Tesco's altogether. Mm. And then well, it truly wouldn't even exist today. Um, but we went with it and we saw a 300% increase in sale in like for like sales. So it ended up being the right decision for us, but I probably had a week of completely sleepless nights before the packaging went live. And, and that that three hundred percent. What time period was that? That um, that was such a turnaround. It was literally the six months prior to six months post the launch wow. of the new factory. Wow! 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 Validation. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and before you launched with the new packaging and you were thinking, there's something not working here, um, how did you come to the conclusion that it was the branding? What kind of people um, were you talking to? And did you speak to that, um, speak to Tesco's about it or even show them the potential new branding? Or did you just go with your own gut instincts on it? We, we spoke to Tesco's, but they liked the existing branding. Um, wow. We've been having conversations with Sainsbury's and they didn't like the packaging. So that um, started making us sort of to try and think about it. We then, Maria and I each spent a week uh, in lots of different stores sampling to consumers and asking them uh, for feedback on the branding, on the packaging and on products. Mm. Um, so we gathered all of that data because we didn't have any cash to do any sort of research. Um, we then ran a couple of focus groups with friends and family to understand and get a bit more in-depth feedback from them. Um, and we didn't show the final packaging to Tesco's as such. We showed them some less bold uh, versions, um, <laughs> and they said that they thought it was going to be okay. They did have some feedback in terms of sort of gluten-free still had to be on the front of pack. Yeah. Um, but in the end, we just thought we've got to do this. We've got to give it a try, um, and, and we did it. Well done. That, that that's amazing. What three hundred percent? Everyone's going to take that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. And and how important um, off the back of that question is is relationship building in in your industry or, or in business in general? Really, uh, it's, it's the backbone. Mm. Um, building the relationships with the buyers, being able to have open conversations. Um, ultimately they all know that we're a small company so the more help that we can get uh, the more successful you can be um, trying to surround yourself with people that are much more knowledgeable than you so approaching whether it's the grocery director from, from one of the big supermarkets or somebody else and seeing if they want to come and sit on your board can have sort of transformational changes for your business um, so relationship building is definitely the key. Obviously, you've got almost no cash. So if you can have a great relationship with your designer or your brand agency and they do that extra little bit for you, uh, that's what's really going to make a difference in the end. Mm, great advice. And when, when you decided to make that call and you realized you, you needed cash to be able to do that, um, how easy and what was the kind of timeline uh, to raising that that four hundred thousand, were you able to do that off the back of the the Tesco sales figures? Yeah, so that really helped. This was our second investment raise, so we managed to secure a, a sort of forty percent from the existing investors, and then through their networks, they introduced us to the rest. Yeah. So that raise ended up being sort of I think we turned it around in about four months, so relatively quickly. That is quick. Yeah. 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 The last raise that we've just done, um, you're a much we're a much older company. We've still got sales growth. Also, the climate was probably um, a bit more uncertain. Uh, that t- this raise took much much longer. Okay, and has that raise enabled you enabled you to to launch this new brand campaign um, with with featuring Gemma Collins with um, through through Emerge. Yes, it has. So we raised half a million, uh, which has been great. And it's for us basically to build the brand throughout 2020. Um, the Naughtyish campaign literally just launched on Tuesday featuring Gemma Collins. 
Um, and then we've got some really exciting plans over the next uh, sort of nine months to keep launching naughtyish activity. Ultimately, mm. we just want people to have fun within the snacking category again. Um, and that's we're hoping that we're going to make everybody laugh. I'm sure. I'm sure you will off the back of the uh, the, the current <laughs> campaign. Um, and when you were starting out, like in in your category, what was the the competition like? You know, other than Grays, I'm thinking, was there anybody else actually doing anything in that category at the time? So obviously, when we launched, we were in free from. Um, it was uh, a pretty unexciting space. Mm. Um, so. You obviously were already the hummus and lentil chips, um, and then more specific sort of gluten-free brands that some of them don't exist anymore. Yeah. Where we are now is that the brand is so strong, we can actually work not only in the free farm but also in the main snacking aisle, which is where we are in centuries. I was going to say you in the main. Okay, you are. That that was the question. Okay, cool. Um, and was there a point? Was it that three hundred percent increase? Was it the the half a million raise that you've just done that made both of you start to start to realise that that this business could be the vehicle that helps you realise you know all the dreams, goals, ambitions that that, that you've got. I think I'm still realizing it. Um, mm. Every single year, every single year has been so different, uh, and it's definitely the hardest thing that I've ever done. Definitely much harder than summiting a six thousand meter peak, which I did just before launching Well and Truly. Mm. Um, but it's. Um, I think we've always had this strong and underlying belief that it was something that could be successful, yeah. and that's what you really need within a startup. Um, you have all the ups and downs, but if you have that passion, then you just keep going uh, through it. Um, but I think uh, I think we never really wavered on on the dream. Yeah, uh, it is an unfair question. Was it is is it as hard as bringing up a, a child? <laughs> <laughs> I know you've got an eleven month old. You said, oh, this is an unfair question." <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a good question. Uh, I think it's actually pretty similar yeah. um, because every time you think you've nailed it, something changes, and you have to go back again um and work really hard to to sort it all out and then the roller coaster starts all over again so it's super exciting um and completely uh sort of encompassing but uh, i absolutely love it on both sides that's a great answer well done <laughs> um and <laughs> a question um how do you feel about the percentage of female founders who get funding compared to males? Because you must literally sit in that something crazy, isn't it? Like 4% um, of, of money raised goes to female founders and you're, you're clearly in that tiny percentile. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a shocking statistic. Isn't it? Um, yeah. from, from what I've seen, I think it is getting a bit better. So we've now done three investment rounds. Um, there've been definitely times where our confidence has wavered when we've walked into a room of 15 male investors. Hmm. Um, but uh, there are other investors that have, out, have been outright and they've said, actually, we want to be investing in female startups. Hmm. So we're really happy to be doing it with you. It also enabled us to get funding from Albright, which is a female-specific fund, and they only invest in female-led startups. Really? And from, ah. Yeah. 
And from what I've seen, there are more and more funds like that being set up. Um, And successful female entrepreneurs, they're um, introducing female startups to their own networks. Um, So I think think it is starting, which is good to see. And you could see more of that happening because, um, and I know with like events, females – back females whereas the males might just say oh yeah hope the event you know goes well sit at home and don't go if there's a female putting on an event they'll all band together and support and all turn up you know just something as simple as that so i could imagine when it comes to funding that they're all introducing uh, other business owners that they know it, it's going to happen yeah, definitely. I think We've it was Holly, it. Holly Tucker at a live event, you know, not on the High Street fan, who, who, who told me that statistic last year when we did an event together. And I was like gobsmacked. I didn't realise it was that ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and a couple of last questions um, for you is what's been at the darkest time that you've had during the four years because clearly things are moving in the right right direction for you now and you're you're doing really well and it sounds like it's very difficult at the start or to actually get started and then again once you were you were in Tesco's um, the growth wasn't what you thought it would be and you you came to the conclusion that it was the brand Um, anything else in there when you look back like lessons learned of kind of some of the darkest times that you've you've come through yeah Oh, that's easy. The darkest time is always linked to cash. Um, we've yeah. had two dark times, uh, both when we were really low on cash. The lowest, we only had £3,000 in the bank. We hadn't been paying ourselves for six months. We'd already borrowed from everyone that we could, um, that was close to us. And we were obviously trying to raise money, but the round was taking much longer than we had expected and forecast within our cash flow. Mm. Um, So it was a really stressful um, month for us when we didn't know if we were going to run out of cash completely or if the investment was going to come in on time. That's dark. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and, and how did you overcome it then what what were kind of what did you do to get you through and was this at a time where you were like pregnant or about to have your first child as well so um i i have yes i did actually have my first child during this period um and uh how do we overcome it we basically it was all about relationships mm. um So we ended up spending a lot of time talking to the investors, trying to convince them that uh, even if I was pregnant and potentially going off on maternity for a month or two, that um, it was still the right time for them to invest in the business. Um, And uh, yeah, and then persuading them that um, if they could give us the cash as soon as possible, that would be the right decision. So a lot of relationship building. And, And how long did you take for maternity in the end? I think I was back on week three. Were you? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a time. But uh, um, yeah, equally growing up in a, an amazing part of the world, um, in, in the Alps and, you know, have, having a great lifestyle, able, able to run uh, an online, you know, able to run your business online um, with uh, a little bit of commuting involved. Uh, how long does it take you, by the way, from where you, where you are? Say you, you've, you, um, you're coming to London, what, pretty much every week or every other week, would you say? Every every other week. Before I had my daughter, it was every week. Um, it takes five hours door to door. Okay. So doable, doable. And then you stay a couple doable. of days in London, do you? Yeah. Well, before I was probably staying a week and then coming back. But now with my daughter, I try and stay maximum three days. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
last last question for you um where where's the you know, sky's the limit, I suppose. Where, where do you set your sights? Uh, I mean, we're, we're now, you know, when this podcast comes out, we're still very much at the beginning of uh, 2020, still a real runway for the next decade, um, let alone the year in front of us. Where, where do you think you can take it? Where do your ambitions lie? I think we think that Well and Truly is a really strong brand. Um, we want to see it as a household favourite snack. Um, so in every single UK household, we think it's we're on the way with the Naughtyish campaign to turning it into more of a lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. So we have big ambitions to launch uh, quite a significant different amount of ranges. Um, so definitely watch this space. Very cool. And if somebody like myself wanted to get their hands on some uh, well and truly Naughtyish snacks, where would I go? You can buy them in Tesco's, in Sainsbury's, on Ocado, uh, Booth's, which is in the north, Whole Foods, and on Amazon. Awesome. Uh, and to connect with yourself um, and the brand, would it be LinkedIn or through your website? What's the easiest way to get hold of you? Um, through through LinkedIn is great. Um, I love giving back to anybody else that's trying to start out because we had so much help at the beginning and we want to be giving back to the amazing startup community in the uk so i'm always happy to meet with people for a coffee and share uh war stories um otherwise um the email address on the website which is hello at wellatruly.co.uk awesome and a supplementary follow-up question just to say would you like to join us um at olympia at the end of april this year for our festival of enterprise we had four thousand people over two days um back at the nec in october and we've got um, the likes of Candy Kittens, um, Nicks and Kicks, um, Jimmy's Ice Coffee, trying to think of the other food and drink brands off the top of my head. Um, there's a whole bunch of them, but um, if you're available, we'd love to um, love you to come along and um, share some of the, your story with our audience. I'd love to be included. Awesome. I will send you further details and new websites literally gone live about two hours ago is what i've been what's what delayed me today by a, by a few minutes but um it, it's all live um got like lord billamoria cobra beer founder piers lenny dragons dan um yeah lo- loads of cool people loads of great stories and a lot of a lot of them are um you know from the food and drink categories um so i'm sure you find it really interesting as well So really enjoyed chatting to Sarah, um, chatting to her offline about the remote working, um, living near the the Alps or in the Alps, um, how she manages to coordinate that and hearing how often she um, comes back to the UK to meet up with a team. Um, obviously, two co-founders living in different countries and the team living in London. Um, really interesting. Um, but, you know, it's clearly doable. Um, you'll hear from a future guest as well very soon in the next couple of weeks who is a digital nomad um, and as such travels around the world um, with an online business, uh, making very good money, doing it um, and having an absolute blast. So if it's something you've thought about doing, I think if you've got the right team behind you, the right systems and processes in place, then you just slot the relevant people in to do those um enable those systems and processes but i still think as as sarah does you know 
that FaceTime that you do get with people by um, commuting in is still, um, it still needs to be done, doesn't it? You still need to put that time in. So as long as they can make it work, um, I, I love the sound of that very modern um, business. Um, and how important is relationship building? Everything, um, according to Sarah. Um, and I would agree, it certainly got them out of um, some situations where if they didn't have that relationship, um, as she said, you know, maybe things wouldn't be so rosy as, as they're looking right now. Um, and things clearly are looking very rosy, having uh, them seen them launch their, their first ever brand campaign um, featuring Gemma Collins um, from The Only Way is Essex. And it seems to have done really well from that. But, you know, they're three years, um, I think four years nearly into the journey um, of Well and Truly clearly doing very well but it has taken them you know a while to get up to building their their first ever um brand campaign so you know don't lose hope if you're still in the first couple of years of your business and you haven't reached that stage yet i think people expect success to come so quickly and you know it's a cliche but it really is um a marathon it's not a sprint i've learned that myself um, it's only now, you know, this podcast, for example, has exploded this month, this January. Last year was the best year ever. Um, this month is the best month ever. And it's nearly eight times um, bigger, the listenership, than it was 12 months ago. And that's because I made it my focus and focused on building the community. And I think you can relate that to all of you out there, you know, hopefully this speaks to you um, that if you put the work in, if you focus, there, there are no shortcuts. There, you know, it really is hard work. It's about building relationships with people, no matter what you're doing. It's showing up every day, getting 1% better than the previous day. And, you know, if you win the day, if you win more days in a week, then you lose, then you win the week. If you win more weeks in a month, then you lose. You win the month. You win more months in a year than you lose. You win the year. You know, it is that simple. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Um, massively appreciate everybody who has listened to the podcast this month. Um, I massively appreciate it. As I say, this is um been unbelievable this month, this January 2020, and um, long may it continue. And if you'd like to rate and review the show, show your appreciation, I would massively appreciate that in return, and I will give you a shout-out in the show, and hopefully see you at the Festival of Enterprise April 28-29 at Olympia in London, where we'll all be getting together. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org 
I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.